Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. This message is from John Padilla speaking on the biblical motivation for evangelism. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. We are evangelists. So I am super passionate about this topic. I am just, uh, it moves my heart. Um, I was in a prayer room a couple nights ago, and I was reading a scripture about, about what, what I'm going to share on. And it was just moving me. It was really moving me to the place of tears. Christianity can be like super hard. Let's just be real. Like it's, it's the greatest thing you ever do in your life, but it's also the hardest thing you ever do. So like, it's kind of like this paradox where it's, yeah, it's the hardest thing you'll do, but it's also the most fulfilling and greatest thing you'll ever do. And evangelism is just one of those things where I'm just like super passionate about. I'm super passionate about getting people off the streets, getting new people in, meeting people that are just, just boom, just got transformed out of nowhere. People that you would have never thought would have been in the church. I'm just super passionate about seeing people that are, didn't look like they grew up in church, didn't look like they would ever belong in church, that worship just crazy. And I, I love that. It ignites my heart. It ignites my heart to see people who you would have never thought being in church, just coming here. Um, so the purpose of this message is pretty much to ignite our heart for evangelism and outreach and ignite our heart for the lost. Who has heard an evangelism message before? Let's see here. Okay, so it's about like 50-50. Cool. So I want to recap. It's all kind of leading up. It all goes together. Gatekeepers, forerunners, family, and evangelists. So gatekeepers, as you guys recall, are the people that host the presence of God. Ephesians 2.20 says that when we gather, we are a dwelling place for God. That's who we are as an identity. So when we gather together in worship and we gather together in prayer and adoration and praise, we are gatekeepers. That's our identity. That's who we are. Forerunners are these people that are just radical. They live radical abandonment for Jesus. Who wants to live radical abandonment for Jesus? I want to I wanna be completely unlike anyone else. And I just want to be completely abandoned. Forerunners are these people that are completely abandoned for Jesus and are pioneering in places that Jesus isn't heard. Uh, family are people that are intentional with each other. This, that message is super important. It's super important that when we speak about evangelism, most people get it. Uh, wrong. So they either think, okay, it's either mission-minded church or it's a community-minded church. It's both. We do family and then we do evangelism. We're on a mission. See, what happens when when a church is too mission-minded, 
People don't feel connected. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. They don't feel like they're a part of something. Yeah, they're out there conquering. Yeah, they're out there making disciples. Yeah, people are coming. Maybe numbers are up. But when there's no family, no intentionality, no connect groups, discipleship groups, small groups, people don't feel connected. They don't know you. Yeah, they might be hundreds of people, but I don't know you. And what happens when you have too much family, let's say it's too much family, then it becomes this, this weird like social group thing. And it just, it, it, it becomes this thing where, you know, we're just going to church to hang out with our friends. And it becomes that iconic youth group thing where, hey, we're going to go eat pizza. And then the same guy that you ate pizza with at youth group is partying on Saturday and getting super drunk. That's not the type of people we want to be, right? Amen. So we want to be both. We want to be a family on a mission. We don't want to just be a social group gathering, just making friends, being that cool, trendy church, and just being that social group. And we don't want to be too mission-minded where I don't know the person to the left or the right of me, and I don't know what they're going through and what their job is and who their mom's name is. And really being intentional people, that's, that's family. Like really, truly knowing someone. We want to be both. We want to be a family on a mission. We want to be a family on a mission. We want to go at this thing together. What You might ask yourself, what is the mission, John? The mission is making disciples. It's making disciples of old people. It's the own mission. Matthew 28, uh, you guys know the scripture, says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the reason any ministry on this planet exists. If they follow Jesus, their Christian ministry, any ministry alive is to, fall, is to make disciples. That is our purpose here. We're wanting to make disciples. We want to make disciples, particularly of lost people. Who wants to make disciples? This should be a burning desire in our heart. Excuse me, I'm just a little sick. If you hear a little sn- snuffles. It's not me crying. Someone came up to me the other day. It's like, John, are you all right? Oh, yeah, it's just a sniffles, bro. I wish I was crying. So the definition, I'm um, also get short breath, too. It's just, it's just part of the sickness. So you're back there. Just start praying in tongues. Just start interceding right now. Lord, we just pray for John right now in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Speaking of, I didn't even pray beforehand. Come on. Lord Jesus, we just ask you, Lord, that you would come take your seat here, Lord. We don't want to hear a message from John. We don't. We want to hear a message from you, Jesus. Father, I ask ask you, Lord, that I would just get out of the driver's seat and make my way to the back of the seat, Lord, that you would be in the driver's seat, Lord. Be exalted today. We want to hear a word from you, Jesus, and help. Amen. So the definition of evangelism. Technically, the definition of evangelism is to announce, declare, bring, or preach the good news. Depending on where you are in the spectrum, again, when people say evangelism, you're like, boom, I checked out. Boom, I'm all in. Let's just be real. I'm one of those people, believe it or not, I'm actually highly introverted. So like, I can put on a good mask, 
or not a good mass. I, could, I, I just have limited amount of energy that I can actually be like super outgoing and super like, I love you. But once that, once that energy is just gone, I just, I just need to be alone for a little bit. I just, it's true. So depending on where you are, like introverted or extroverted, you're like, man, sweet. Evangelism, let's go. Like the super extroverted person that just wants to talk to everyone's like, yes, I want, yes, this is for me. And if you're introverted, you automatically kind of like check yourself out. Who, who does that? I know I do that. To this day, when I do evangelism, I don't look forward to it. I don't. Let's just be real. I really don't. But I look forward to like having deep friendships that last. I'm still a little sick. God help. So um, don't go checking out. If I said evangelism, if that's your trigger word, don't check out just yet. Just, just bear with me. A lot of times when you think evangelism, you either think like Mormons, Jehovah Witness, street preachers, you think of this like bad reputation kind of in your mind. You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. We all kind of know that street preacher dude who's just in the corner speaking like super negatively. It's like, y'all are going to hell. You guys know that? Like street preacher or seen one on like World Star or YouTube where you're just like, you're going to hell. Repent right now. I don't think that's ever worked. It might have worked. I don't think like from my experience seeing that doesn't really work. <laughs> to be an evangelist means that we're spreading the good news about Jesus, right? So evangelism means the spreading of the good news. To be an evangelist means that I'm spreading the good news, right? And the good news about Jesus. So according to the title, who are we called to be? We're called to be Evangelist, say it one more time. We're called to be? Evangelists. Amen. What is an evangelist again? An evangelist is a person that spreads the good news about Jesus. So my goal in this sermon is to give us an exhortation and a biblical teaching to go radically after our generation. I've been doing research all week, just kind of searching up statistics about our generation, Gen Z. Gen Z is, if you were born between 1997 and 2015. Millennials is before that. So I have a couple statistics about Gen Z. God, please help. So sick. Yes. Gen Z is about 26 of the U.S. population, 26%. And it's also about 30% of the world population. So in the U.S., Gen Z, our people around our age, is 26%, one-fourth. 54% of Gen Z reported feeling lonely often, always or sometimes. And nearly 70% of Gen Z is too embarrassed to say that they're lonely. So that's crazy. Let's keep going. Gen, and also, I have like uh, sites and stuff for this, I'm not just Googling it. <laughs> Gen Z is more likely to be diagnosed with a mental or substance abuse. So that means Gen Z 
it's likely to do drugs, do weed, do alcohol, ecstasy, these sort of things. And they're, they're likely to have some sort of like mental health issue. Gen Z is two or three times more likely to report about thinking, planning, or attempting suicide. This is a generation we're in. Gen Z is twice as more likely than millennials, that's the generation previous, to not seek help for their emotional, mental, or physical needs. So it's the loneliest generation. It's the generation that's scared to say that they're lonely. And it's the generation that's saying, I refuse to, to get help because I'm good. I, I relate to that. 45% of Gen Z, this, this statistic's crazy. 45% of Gen Z identify themselves as agnostic, meaning that they believe something's kind of there, but not Jesus, that something kind of created the world, but they don't know. Atheists, meaning that they believe no one created the world, they believe Big Bang happened and everything just kind of happened, or they believe nothing in particular is God. That's 45%. That's nearly half. Nearly half of Gen Z is not Christian. I think the statistic, I don't have it here. I think the statistic was like 20%, like confess Jesus. This statistic here is crazy too. 43% of U.S. children live without their father, according to the U.S. Department of Census. They took a census and they reported that 43% of children growing up in the States don't have a father present at home. I don't mean to kind of throw these things to kind of like lower the mood, but this is the generation that we're trying to serve. So the need is great. Think about that, 43% of children growing up right now don't have a father present at their home. But we're quick to be like, man, this generation is prideful. Man, this generation is arrogant. They make mistakes. Yeah, they never had a father to show them. This generation, Gen Z, the generation that we're in, and I'm in Gen Z as well, this generation is in desperate need of our Heavenly Father. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. I'm believing God will use us to reach this generation. I'm believing that we will see hundreds of salvations, that we'll see our generation lit up for Jesus. You know, I, I searched up Gen Z. Websites and articles came out about bad things about Gen Z. What if I searched for good things? It was so hard to find. Matter of fact, I didn't find anything. That was just, that was crazy. It's like, we're just... This generation is looked down on so much, and I believe that God has something in store for us as people. I believe that if we were to give ourselves fully to Jesus in a radical, abandoned way, that God will use us mightily. We, in this house, gatekeepers, we have a special mandate to minister to this generation. This is who we are. We have a special mandate to be evangelist. We have a special mandate that, hey, our generation is in desperate need of Jesus. Our generation needs people. 
they need people to reach out to them. And that people that, that God is using is us. If we're so willing to be used by God. So my goal today is to ignite our hearts on fire to reach this generation. I read all those statistics and to give us a biblical insight for evangelism. I want us to leave here today knowing that God wants to use you to spread the gospel to your neighbor, your coworker, your classmate, your family member, that God wants to use you. How many of you guys know that God loves using broken people? He loves it. Right? I think it's, it's, it's easy to think, man, the guy in the mic, he's the anointed one. The one with the guitar in his hand. They're, they're the true people that God used. Beloved, I tell you here today that I am, I am the most, if you really, really, really know me and know the depths of who I am, I am the most screw, screwed up person in this room. I have so much just dirt that God has just redeemed me of. If you were to see me four or five years ago, I get it all the time. Like you, you would have never thought that would be here speaking. I'm the least one likely. And I don't say that just to kind of like, just say that because it's a nice thing. I'm the least likely person to be up here speaking. It's just ridiculous. God uses broken people. So I want us to leave here today knowing that, hey, God wants to use us. He wants to use us to reach this generation. He wants to use us to reach our classmates, our, our coworkers, our family members, the people around us, that, that, the people around us who are in Gen Z are really in desperate need of Jesus. So um, kind of the first part about evangelism, you always want to make it about your story first. You want to recall. So this is, this is point one. You want to recall when you were called. You want to remember when you were called. How many of you guys, like me, have a crazy story? Everyone should have their hand up. You guys were rescued from the fire. You were rescued from radical things. How many of you guys know that you, you don't have to have a, you know, I was a drug dealer or I used to party, all that stuff to have a crazy testimony? Because in the eyes of God, everyone's testimony is the same. There's not one person who has a more, yeah, he has the most crazy story. So he's the one that's gonna be used the most. All of our story are equal. You were saved from fire. God chose you. He said, I want you. So when we're thinking about evangelism, we have to actually first think about our personal salvation. We have to think about how was I saved? How was I called out of the fire? What happened? What was that moment of encounter where God spoke to me in an instant and I said, Lord, I want to give my life to you. We all have it. Turn your Bible or electronic device to Matthew 9. Kobe's over there smiling because I talk about him, Matthew 9, a lot. Rachel, too. Matthew 9 moves me. It moves me so much. I've been getting moved recently about the call of Matthew. When, when Jesus first called Matthew. Remember, we're talking about when Jesus talk, called you. So when we're thinking about evangelism, we have to first think about how did the Lord call you? How did Jesus call you? Because this is how he called Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter nine, verse nine, it says, as Jesus was walking along, 
he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. What's, what's crazy about this, this verse, if you've actually studied Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector. In Jewish tradition, tax collectors were the outcasts of their society. They were people that, I don't want to be nowhere near a tax collector. If you were Jewish and you were associated with a tax collector, you're a traitor. Tax collectors were the people they were considered in their culture traitors. They weren't even allowed to speak in their Jewish courts. They were neglected. So it was the spirit, it was the, the outcast of their time. And what's crazy about this verse says that Jesus was walking. He was walking with his disciples. He's walking with his gang, Peter, Andrew, all of them. And he saw the outcast. He saw the person that no one wanted to talk to the most. And he said, I want you, Matthew. Yeah, I know no one wants to talk to you. I know that you're an outcast. I know that you're rejected by everyone. But I want you, Matthew. I want you. So powerful. Who's here seen The Chosen? Has, has anyone seen that clip where Matthew was called out? Brett, if you could just play that clip really quick. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a text collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. I can put it back. 
No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Hey, it's Dallas and the crew. So that, that was super powerful. John, I thought we were talking about evangelism. Why are you telling me about Matthew's call? Because we all relate to Matthew an extent. Before Jesus, man, I, I was no one. I really was no one. Then Jesus, out of nowhere, just rescued me out of fire, gave me identity, made me a son, gave me riches in an extent. Not, not how you think. And he just gave me purpose. I remember... Before Jesus, I had no purpose. I felt, like, I felt like I didn't have anything to look forward to. I had nothing that I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll wake up for this. I remember waking up and like maybe having this feeling like, oh, I got to prove myself better than someone else or, you know, living for selfish gains. I was just living for vanity. And out of nowhere, Jesus had rescued me out of the fire. He saw me like he, how he saw Matthew and he says, John, I want you. You're beautiful in my sight. I want you, John. You're so lovely. I love when you whisper my name. And then he called me radically out of the fire. And, you know, Matthew, what's significant about Matthew, that if you look at let's, the book of Matthew, Matthew 8, 9, and 10. In Matthew 7, Jesus had just got done preaching a sermon called the Sermon of the Mount. And he gave this fire message. And then it says that he got down and he started healing the sick, casting out demons, healing leopards, paralyzed men were brought to him. He was casting out demons. And in the midst of all of that, right? So he's, he's over here, boom, going to people's houses, raising the dead. In the midst of doing all those miracles, right? He's, he's moving across and he sees Matthew, who's an outcast, he says, I want you. Like, yeah, you're, you're just like the rest of them. You're just a sinner and you're just, you know, a paralyzed leopard man, but you're like them. You're classified within, you're, you are classified within their social class, right? Because he was a tax collector. The tax collector was in the same wavelength as a, as a uh, leopard or a paralyzed man or a lame man. And he says, I want you. Yeah, I want you. Think, that's crazy. I, di I didn't really get this revelation until I was just starting to read the whole Bible in context. Where you look at that, just read in context, you get a little bit more revelation. And I was realizing, like, oh, crap. Matthew was actually called in the midst of Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead. And in, in the same call that he gives in Matthew 9, 36, where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In that same context, he calls Matthew. And he says, I want you. And he says to Matthew, I want you, Matthew. Come follow me. Come be with me. A lot of you guys have a similar story. The Lord rescued you. He said, I want you. I call you by name. I have good things in store for you. You had no purpose or identity before me. But I want to give you purpose and identity. I want to tell you who you are. Right? Who, who has that? Who has that story where God just rescued you out of the fire? So we are Matthew in this, in this illustration. 
where Matthew in that video? We were destined for failure, but God's grace rescued us. Now we get the special invitation to actually partnering with God and doing the same thing. So in terms of evangelism and outreach and preaching the gospel, we actually have to recall how we were called. You see, sometimes the Lord rescues you out of your journey, your particular story, because he wants you to go back to that people group. He wants you to go and minister to the same people that, the same troubles that you were having before Christ, he wants you to go back to them. You know, and and if you were partying and drinking, maybe the Lord wants you to go back to those environments to preach the gospel. If you were, you know, if you were depressed and had anxiety, maybe the Lord wants to use you to speak into someone else's life about how you overcame depression and anxiety and how you overcame depression and anxiety was Jesus, right? So, When thinking about evangelism, we have to think about our own story first. We have to think about how we were called. And then the next thing, we have to actually understand God's heart for the lost, right? We have to to understand it because unless we understand that Jesus actually mourns and he desires people, we will always be doing evangelism out of obedience. We will be doing it out of a task-oriented mind. And I, I don't know how you guys are, but I, I, I don't like doing tasks. I could do it. I could discipline myself, and I could discipline myself to be doing something consistently. But unless I'm, like, truly motivated by love, that task I'll stop doing just because discipline only lasts. And that's sort of how evangelism is. It's like, man, I know the drill. I know that I'm supposed to preach the gospel. I know that I'm supposed to be telling my classmate. But if you really don't understand God's heart and his desires— for the lost, then you, you will just do it for a season and then boom, off. And that's, that's kind of when we talk about evangelism, we get this source, this like sense of shame, I guess, or sense of like, let's move on to the next thing because we don't really understand God longs for lost people. He longs for people in general. He longed for you. Before you were saved, he longed for you. He had dreams for you. He has a desire to fellowship with you. Revelation 3.20 says that, behold, I knock on the door and I desire to have a meal with you. That's Jesus for everyone. He desires to fellowship with you. And there's, there's this deep sense of long in Jesus, in the heart of God, particularly for lost people. So who has heard of something called the pro- proximity principle? Great. The proximity principle is when you're close to someone and you form the same principles and values as that person. For example, my brother likes uh, leather and likes business and likes saving money. So that's, those are the sort of things he talks about. And then because he talks about it, I'm like, man, I need a I need, to, I need to actually start saving my money. I need to, like, I, you should read this book. I'm like, okay, great. Because it's just, it's because it's the person he is, I start to catch the same thing. And this is how we are about Jesus. We need to see Jesus. Jesus, what are you saying about the lost? What are you saying about my classmate What are you that doesn't know you? What are you saying about my coworker that doesn't know you? That when, the proximity principle is when we get close to Jesus, Close enough to hear, right? Because the scripture says, 
Today, if you hear my voice, Psalm 81.11 says, today, if you hear my voice. So God is always speaking. We're just not always listening. So when we get close enough to, to God and we're like, God, what are you saying about the lost? What are you saying about my school? What are you saying about my mom who's not saved? What are you saying about my dad who's not saved? My uncle, Eduardo, who, all these other people. What, what are you saying? That's the proximity principle. When you're close enough to someone and the inner being of who that person is starts to rub off on you. And what's on God's heart is the lost. He longs and mourns and has this deep desire to fellowship with his people. He has this deep desire to call identity in people. It pleases him to tell you who you are. When you go to him in desperation and anxiety and fear, and you're like, God, I'm desperate and I'm fearful and, and all these other things, it pleases God to be like, I got you. That pleases him. It pleases God to be like, you're going to be all right, son. I have good things in store for you. It pleases him. And he desires, he has a strong desire to tell people that. Because we as Christians, we have access to that. We have access to Holy Spirit. And that when, when I'm in moments of distress, I have access to go in the prayer room or in my prayer closet or when I'm driving, God, just close my eyes and be like, God, I, I love you. What, what, what do I do? But that lost person doesn't have access to that. That lost person has access to their drugs. They have access to pornography. They have access to all these different sources of way that are feeding their attention. So what, what does God say about the lost? For the Son of Man has came to seek and save which is lost. Luke 19.10. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Romans 5a says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means that God died for the people that were going to be saved and God died for the people that were never going to confess Jesus. That there is this deep desire for people. Like, I just don't understand. I don't think we will ever understand. I try to see God for like, God, really reveal to me your desire for the lost. And I get inches of revelation, but I never really get the full picture. Jesus, he had this deep desire for the lost. He is the guy at this, at this party where he wants, he wants so-and-so who's in the corner to come join him at the table. And he wants the person that's outside that's kind of socially awkward, like, hey, come join me. That's Jesus. Jesus is the guy who desires this big, happy family. And if you're over there kind of doing your own thing and bears to talk, Jesus will come to you and he'll be like, hey, I want you to come, come meet my friends. Come meet Billy and so-and-so and all these other people. That is the heart of Jesus. He's that guy who just desires to have this big, happy family. He desires for everyone to be a part of the family. When, when I stare at Jesus, again, the proximity principle means that when I'm close to someone, who they are in their inner being starts to rub off in me. So when I'm close to Jesus and when I get close to him in prayer and intercession and intimacy, and I'm like, Lord, what are you saying? right now in the prayer room, and the Lord's like, Afghanistan. And you're like, what? Well, what does, what does that have to do with me? It's like, yeah, I long for the people in Afghanistan. 
Or when you're, you're in your prayer closet and the Lord's like, I'm like, Lord, I'm really depressed and I'm really just, you know, fearful about this situation. And the Lord says, GGC, I long for those students. It, when we get close to the person of Jesus, his desire, his, his, his desire for the law starts to rub off on us. So Matthew 9, verse 35, if you could flip to it, says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So if you read Matthew 8 and 9 in context, read the whole thing in your own time, it says that Jesus was traveling. He had just got off from preaching this awesome sermon called Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? Then Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus is out here, hey, someone, someone, someone is, is paralyzed. Can you heal them, Jesus? People are being brought to the man of Jesus. And, and some, my daughter is dead. Can you come heal her? This leper came to Jesus. Jesus is going from town to town, and he's seeing the leopard man. He's seeing the man that has no hope and no future, and he's broken with tears. And he's seeing the, he's seeing the woman that came to him and said, hey, just if I could touch your robe, if I could just touch your robe, I will be healed. Jesus is seeing the compassion of people. He is seeing the paralyzed man who was brought to him in a mat that has no purpose, that can't even walk. He was seeing the demon-possessed man that can't even speak, and he's saying, I, 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 I feel, I feel so deeply for that. I, I don't, these people, they need me. They need me so bad. And this, Jesus was, was feeling that. He was feeling that. He was a man that felt. He felt. How many of you guys know that it's okay to feel? It's okay to feel, especially if you're a man. I, I want to give you freedom if you're a man. It's okay to feel. God gave you emotions. He gave you emotions. There is this thing in our culture particularly towards men that say, you're not allowed to feel. You have to be this alpha man. You have to pretend like you have no feelings. Jesus, the person of Jesus, felt deeply for these people. It says that Jesus, he had, he had a breaking when the leopard came to him. And the leopard that had an old crippled arm and, and he couldn't use his arm, Jesus had this sense of compassion what does the scripture in Matthew 9, 36 says? It says that Jesus was filled with compassion when he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion means splenchon in the Greek. It means that Jesus was moved to the point of his bowels, that he, in the inner beings who he was, he was filled with compassion when he saw the leopard man come to him and he had no hope and he looked Jesus in the eye and he said, I have nowhere else to go. And he, he was filled with compassion when the paralyzed man came to Jesus and he couldn't walk. And he, he, God knows how long it's been since he's walked. And he was, he was came to him by his buddies. And Jesus was filled with compassion when that woman came to Jesus and said, oh, if, if I could just touch the fringe of your robe, I will get healed. He was filled with compassion. He was filled to the point of tears that it felt like he had a, he had a knife in his stomach and he had tears in his eyes. And guess who was there with him in that, that at that moment, Matthew was there, Peter was there, Andrew was there in that moment, that Jesus, when he took a short little break from Matthew 8 and 9 at the end of chapter 9, it says that he was filled with compassion. He felt so deeply that he had just got done casting out demons, raising dead, healing blind men, casting out demons, 
And he looked at his disciples, who he loved the most, and he broke down. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with compassion. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? We think that word, compassion, is like cute puppy, cute dog. No. That word in the Greek, splenchon, Jesus was moved to the point of tears. He was so moved. And I find it amazing that Jesus allowed himself to be vulnerable with his students, his disciples. He, 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 he had just called Matthew out of the tax collector bin. Literally that chapter, he called him out of the tax collector bin. And then Matthew was rolling with him. Matthew was there when Jesus cast out demons, then when he healed blind men. And then when Jesus got done from his little healing spree and casting out demons and doing all these different things, Jesus broke down. Um, and it, and he, it says that he saw the multitudes, he saw the towns, he saw the villages. And he says, guys, I'm in a moment of breakdown right now. These people have no one. They have no one. They have no one to go after. And what's going to happen after my three years when I have to go back? These people have no one. He was broken to the point of tears and anguish. I want to long like that. I want to long like that for my classmates. I want to long like that for coworkers, for people at the gas station. I desire at the end of my life that I have a bounding love in my heart for someone that doesn't go to the same church as me, that's not in the same ministry as me, that may be a little awkward, that doesn't like the same things I do, that's lost, that doesn't know Jesus. I want to burn like that because of what? The proximity principle says that when you're close to someone, who they are starts to rub off on you. When you're close to Jesus, you understand who he is. And his heart is like, man, I love outcasts. I love people. I love all types of people. I love the leopard man. I love the paralyzed man. I love that person that still doesn't know me. I love it. I want along like that. I really want along like that. I don't long like that. Guys, I want along for the lost people. I want along for the person that I can't have a conversation for, like with. I want along for the person that doesn't dress the same as me. I want along for the person that's years younger than me. Jesus had this deep desire for lost people. And I think a lot of times when we think about evangelism, we don't have that same heart. We do it just because it's a task. We do it just because scripture says so, I'll do it. Guys, I really want to have this burning heart for the lost. I want to have this burning heart that when I'm driving by and this widow woman is asking for money that I stop, even if, even if she is going to use my money for good or bad, I just stop to have a conversation. I want to have a burning desire inside of my soul 
that when I see someone, you know, when you're kind of in gatherings and you're talking to your friends, that I kind of, that person over there is kind of in the corner and just kind of waiting for someone to talk to, right? They might be new to church. I want to have a burning desire to quit the adrenaline of the moment of talking to my friends, to go talk to that person. And when I'm having that conversation with that person, I want to have a longing and burning desire in my heart that I can actually have a conversation with them, that I don't see them as a project. I don't see them as, man, I'm doing my Christian duty, but I could, with a sincere love in my heart, have a conversation with that person. Because guys, I, I, it's so easy to start seeing people as like, yeah, they're a project. So, you know, I'll go have a conversation with them. They're a project. They're a working disciple. You start seeing them as that. It's like, no, that person's actually a person. He has things that he likes or she likes. They have desires in them. I want to have that burning desire. I really do. Are you guys tracking? So Matthew 9, 37, right? It says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, right? Jesus was breaking down in tears. He's breaking down in deep pain in his bowels. That's what it says. And he looked at Matthew, who he just called. He said, there's so many people here. So many people. Will you just pray? Will you pray to the Lord of Harvest? A lot of times, we don't have a burning desire for the lost, for our classmate, our school, our coworker, because we've actually never prayed for them. What is prayer? Prayer is just a dialogue. Dialogue. It's just a conversation you're having with God. A lot of us will use the language like, oh, I'm not an evangelist. Oh, like that's just not my gifting. Oh, I'm not an extrovert. You know, have you ever prayed for that person that's lost in your life? Ask yourself that. Because if you haven't, you don't have God's desire for them. When I have a conversation with God about that person in my life who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm like, God, what, what do you see in that person? What, 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 what things do you have in store for them? And God starts to download in me. Oh, he's going to be a, he has an amazing entrepreneurial gift. He has a way of communication. I'm going to use him to expand my kingdom. And he's going to be an amazing father. He's just not saved yet. And God, I start getting these downloads in the place of, of secret place. I, my heart starts to become alive. It's like, oh, he's going to be this great man. I actually have to go preach the gospel to him. When he gets saved, the Lord is going to use him so mightily. But the problem is we don't do evangelism because we never prayed for that person. We have never sought God. What are you saying about this lost person in my life? So it's, it amazes me in the scripture where he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, right? There's a lot of lost people but the workers are few. And then he says, so pray. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray. There's a lot of lost people, too many to count. So pray, start praying for them. And in the place of prayer, you actually start to get a dialogue for, for who those people are going to be in God. It's just wild. It's wild to me. And kind of 
going off script now. Let's go to Matthew 4. If you could turn your Bible, Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verse 18. It's the call of Peter. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore, the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, and they fished for a living. Jesus called out to him, come and follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. The first and last conversation that Peter had or that Jesus had with Peter was about evangelism. So when he initially called Peter, he says, Peter, I know that you fish for a living. I know that you're just kind of doing your own thing, but I wanna, I wanna use you to fish for my people. And then in Matthew 9, Jesus has that breakdown moment where he's healing people and he's, he, he reveals himself to his disciples. I'm longing for more people. I'm longing for a bigger family. I'm longing that people will come sit at the table. Now, if you turn to John 21. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of Judah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you and feed my sheep. Jesus replied. Jesus repeated the question a second time. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now, if you recall Matthew 9, Jesus says that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, speaking of the lost people. In the initial conversation that Jesus had with Peter was like, Peter, will you come with me? I'll teach you how to fish for men. Then the last conversation that, Peter, that Jesus has with Peter is like, Peter, do you love me? Then you'll feed my sheep. You remember that moment in Matthew 9 where I was breaking down and I had tears in my eyes? I had, and I was travailing. Do you love me? Because if, if you really love me, you'll love what I stand for. And what Jesus stand for was the lost. He really longed for the lost. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next episode.